our Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been studying just through the book. Keep these things in mind. Paul was in prison. He was in a Roman prison when he wrote this. This epistle, 2 Timothy, contains the last words of the Apostle Paul before he went to heaven. Chapter four gives some very pressing and emotional words that we'll study next time. He charges Timothy to come shortly. He says this twice, he says, come before winter. The implication is if he doesn't come before winter, he may not see Timothy again. So in this chapter, chapter three, he speaks of three things. Paul's explanation about the future, his example of the past, his exhortation concerning the days to come. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to guide us as we study the word of God tonight. Open our hearts to hear from heaven. Thank you for everyone who is here. We ask you to cleanse us from every misjudgment, every sin, everything that shouldn't be in our lives. May the word of God come forth unadulterated tonight without fear or favor. May it just be declared as it is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Seventeen verses in this chapter. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Zambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, one of them all the Lord, out of them the Lord delivered me all. Yea, and all that will live godly in this Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom 
thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Very simply in this chapter, we read warnings of the future. We read about Paul's example from the past and Paul's exhortation for the days ahead. Think of this for a few minutes. Paul was in prison. He was, he was chained to a Roman guard and yet he writes with all the fervency of his heart. He never even mentions he's a prisoner in Rome. Rather, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The reason he can say that is because he was a prisoner for preaching the word. And he said, all that will live godly in this present world will suffer persecution. In the last days, perilous days shall come. The last days could be days from Calvary to the rapture from the time when Jesus died on the cross until he comes the second time. There's the inference of apostasy here. Apostasy means a falling away, the act of professed Christians deliberately rejecting revealed truth. That truth, the deity of Christ, and redemption through the death of Christ on the cross. Apostasy differs from error concerning truth, which may result from ignorance or heresy due to the snare of Satan. Apostates depart from the faith, but not from outward profession of Christianity. That's the danger. They live among us. They're in the kingdom of heaven. And if you we don't have time to discuss this tonight, but there seems to be a difference, not everybody agrees with this, difference in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is the apparent kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the real kingdom of God. It's like the church. The church is the pillar of truth, but in the visible local church, there can be unsaved people. In God's church, as seen from him in heaven, it's a church without spot or wrinkle. So there are different terms that describe different things. So what he's saying here, there are some who are apostates. They are in the church. They seem to be Christians. Everybody thinks they are, but listen to it. They're lovers of self. There are 20 terms that describe these people. They love themselves, they're covetous, they're boasters, they're proud, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient to parents, they're unthankful, they're unholy, they're without natural affection, they're truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, and last of all, they're immoral. Now, not all these characteristics fit every apostate. There are some 
who seem to be more committed than others. But Paul is warning that in the last days, these will be side by side among God's people. And he sums up by saying they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. That is by their lifestyle and by their questioning and by their lack of spiritual understanding, they have a form of godliness, but they have no power, no spiritual power. This is very much related to Matthew chapter 24. You want to turn to Matthew 24 a moment and look at what Jesus says about the, the end days. Matthew 24 verse 4, Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, shall deceive many. You shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They'll kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Verse 12 covers what Paul is saying happens in the last days. Lovers of self, covetous, boasters, and so on. Concerning earthquakes, this has come to our attention recently. Someone has made a study of the earthquakes. In the 14th century, there were 137 major earthquakes. The 15th century, 174 major earthquakes. In the 16th century, 253 major recorded earthquakes. In, chapter, in, in the 17th century, 378 major earthquakes. The 18th century, 640 major earthquakes. In the 19th century, 2,119 major earthquakes. Now we're in the 21st century now. In 1962, 12,000 were killed in India. 1968, 11,000 in Iran. 1970, 50,000 in Peru. 1970, 143,000 in Japan. 1970, 15,000 in uh, another nation. 200,000 in another place. And in just a month ago, 200,000 in Haiti. They're not even sure if that's the correct number yet. So the Bible teaches that we're approaching the end days. And Paul is just warning. He's saying, you're going to live in such situation. So remember that. Now, he comes next to discover, to, to talk about Paul's example from the past. Look in verses 10 to 13. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, so on. He said, I want you to think about my life with you. Paul is largely responsible for the salvation of Timothy. You remember he went to Lystra? At Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead, but God wasn't through with him. He raised him up. Timothy witnessed all this. Many Bible scholars believe that's when Timothy was saved. 
when Paul went back to Lystra on another missionary journey, Paul, uh, Timothy was about 17 years old. He asked her he'd go with him. And from then on, Timothy was a constant companion of the Apostle Paul. He said, Timothy, I want you to remember my doctrine of grace through faith. Remember my manner of life. Remember my purpose. Remember my faith. Remember the sufferings. Remember the charity or love. Remember the patience. Remember the persecutions. Hold your finger there and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 12 for just a minute. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm trying to say Corinthians instead of Timothy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Listen to this. <clears throat> but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, and fastings, pureness, knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet pure, unknown yet well known, dying and behold we live as chastened and not killed. In other words, he says, I went through all this. And Timothy, I want you to remember that. I'm not going to be here very long. In the very next chapter, he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. But Paul says, Paul, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to remember my life. And when I'm gone, keep in mind the example that I've led before you. Several places, Paul says, be a follower of me. We said that in a Sunday school lesson a few weeks ago. Each of us needs to so live our lives that we can say to others, be a follower of me because I'm a follower of Christ. That's what Paul meant. He said, Paul, he said, Timothy, remember what you've seen in my life. Emulate it. The time is coming when I won't be here, but you can remember these things. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. The last part of this chapter begins in verse 14, Paul's exhortation about the future. Look at this. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Continue the things that you've learned. You remember the scriptures that you've known from youth up. You remember the value of the word. Remember the purpose of scripture. Let's spend a moment, look at verse 16 and 17 a moment. <clears throat> All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration means God breathed. God breathed into Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, 
all the others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those written in the New Testament, all scriptures given by God breathed. God breathed in these men. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's inspiration. Now, we don't have any original manuscripts. We have copies. But the copies are so correct. For example, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, <clears throat> we have the scroll of Isaiah. It dates to 100 BC, one of the oldest manuscripts that we have of Isaiah. The interesting thing is, it is just like the Isaiah we have in our Bibles. Same. You see, God saw to it that the inspired Word of God was preserved through all the ages. And what we have in our hand today is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. Copies, yes, but the copies were so breathed upon by God that they too were preserved so that what we have is a reliable Word of God and we can trust it and believe it. And then he says, the reason for the word of God is verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The only way we can become perfect, and the word perfect means mature. It doesn't mean sinless. Remember when you come across that word in the New Testament, the word perfect does not mean perfect as we think of it, somebody who is without sin. It means somebody who is mature in the faith. So the reason for the scripture is that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have the basis from the word of God, how to live, how to serve, how to work, how to have faith. And it all goes back to what Jesus did on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to ask Miss Reether to come to the organ and play the old rugged cross. That's the basis for our faith. What Jesus did on the cross, we must never forget. That's what Paul was saying. Jesus died for our sins. I've tried to follow in his train. He that would live God in this present world will suffer persecution. Timothy, don't be afraid of that. Remember who we serve. He who knew no sin became sin for us. I'm going to ask Brother Marcus to come and sing the old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. 